As the sun rises each day in the awesome world of the three networks, their generals send forth the stars to do battle for the ratings that rule the realm. The battle is fierce, for the treasures are precious. But today, the battle is physical and furious. Hello, and welcome again to the Track and Field History Podcast. I'm Jesse Squire, and today I'd like to talk to you about one of the most watched sprint races in history, or at least in American history to an American audience. Sports writer Bill Simmons calls it his favorite YouTube clip. Not his favorite track and field YouTube clip or his favorite sports YouTube clip, just flat out his favorite YouTube clip of all time. And to do this, we have to look back to the 1970s. That was the time of Olympic-style competition on television. And to understand why, you have to think about the fact that there was much less television to be watched at the time. The Battle of the Network Stars is a team competition. So, let's meet the team. There were just three networks, and cable TV was a, basically a non-entity at the time. There was not a whole lot of televised sports. Uh, the NBA had one game a week. Uh, Major League Baseball had one game a week. Hockey was still a regional sport. Um, uh, and the NCAA had quite a bit of control over how much basketball and football was broadcast on television, and they kept a pretty tight lid on that. Um, one of the few exceptions to this was the Olympics. They were a two-week-long celebration of sports on television. Uh, for the first time in 1968, there was live satellite coverage of Olympic uh, competition, and it also happened to be taking place in U.S. prime time. Uh, that happened again in 1976, and it was only about six or seven hours ahead, uh, I think six hours ahead of uh, Eastern time, when the 1972 Olympics came around. And since broadcast contracts for the Olympics at that time were only signed a year or two in advance, and all three networks were in contention for those contracts, everybody had motivation to cover Olympic sport. In 1970 and 71, CBS broadcast 10 track meets each year, 10 track meets from the U.S. and Europe over a three-month period, um, and they were done pretty well because a man named Dick Drake, who had been uh, managing editor of Track and Field News, was the announcer and producer. Uh, there were things like the Wrestling World Cup that happened in my hometown. Uh, those were also broadcast. All kinds of, uh, just a broader range of sports were covered at the time. And one of the first types of Olympic-style competition that they called it was due to uh, one of the contracts around this thing. ABC had just lost its NBA TV contract to broadcast one game a week, and they were looking for something else. And a man named Dick Button had an idea. If that name means anything to you, probably means that you're fairly old, but also Dick Button was the figure skating announcer for Olympic coverage for many years. That's because in 1948, he was the Olympic figure skating champion. The next year, he won the Sullivan Award uh, as the best amateur athlete in America for 1948. And at that time, the really the only big professional sports were baseball, boxing, and horse racing. So 
To be the Sullivan Award winner meant that you were basically the best athlete in the country. Dick Button knew that was not true at all. He had just finished his high school career, and he was not good at anything but skating. And so... Fast forward 25 years later, he's got a uh, degree from Harvard Law School, and he's gotten into television production, and uh, he had this idea that he'd been kicking around for a long time. He would take 10 athletes from 10 different sports and throw them all together and run them in a kind of a a decathlon, but a decathlon of all different kinds of sports. Each athlete would pick seven sports to compete in, seven events to compete in. They would be barred from competing in their own specialty, and they'd score it, well, kind of more like just uh, points based on place. And at the end, they'd have the best athlete. They called it the Superstars Competition. Uh, Originally, he was going to get one star each from each of 10 pro sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, auto racing, boxing, tennis, golf, horse racing, and yes, bowling, because bowling was a big sport on TV uh, in the early 1970s. And um, mostly he was able to sign up uh, all these people, but uh, he had a late dropout uh, or two. And so uh, one sport that he did not intend on including uh, but it just worked out just fine. Uh, he got Bob Segrin, who had been an Olympic pole vault champion in 1968, to be able to come in and do the competition. And because track and field athletes were amateurs, and this was a professional thing where people were going to be paid money, normally you wouldn't be able to do that. But Segrin had just signed up with the International Track Association. That was a a uh, 70s pro sports organization that took stars from uh, track and field uh, and gave them a way to make money. It was a separate competition from basically a separate circuit. You gave up your Olympic eligibility to be able to do this. That's a really interesting show, but it's another show. We'll talk about that another day. So Seagren was allowed to compete because he was now part of a pro competition. The 10 things that they had them do were tennis, golf, swimming, bowling, weightlifting, uh, sort of a baseball hitting thing, more like a, a sort of like a batting practice, table tennis, 100-yard sprint, half-mile run, and a bike race. And to everyone's surprise, except for those of us who follow track and field, Bob Segrin was the very first champion. Doesn't surprise me because not only was Segrin a great pole vaulter, an Olympic champion there, he also ran the 400 hurdles when he was at USC in smaller meets like dual meets and so forth. So he was actually a very versatile athlete, very fast, fit, strong, tremendous uh, gymnastic ability. So the fact that he was very good at that didn't surprise anyone. And it turns out that the Superstars competition was a really big hit. It actually ended up getting bigger ratings than the NBA game that ABC uh, lost and wanted to use the Superstars to replace. And it became an annual competition, and it was wildly popular. Now, in the wake of this, in 1976, ABC had an idea for something that ended up being the zenith of 70s culture, or possibly the bottom of 70s culture, depending upon how you look at it. It was the Battle of the Network Stars. It was 
among the cheesiest things that you've ever seen, and it was classic. It was wonderful. Their idea was that they would get TV celebrities from each of the three networks. Uh, They'd have teams uh, representing each network. They'd get them together for a competition that, in true 70s style, would be done with a wink and a nod. You know, that it, it it was presented as being serious, and it really wasn't serious. As RuPaul says at the end of each season, send up with the classic 70s show Match Game, he always says, and the winner is, who cares? That's kind of what Battle of the Network Stars was supposed to be. They were going to get them together for a weekend at Pepperdine University in Malibu, uh, where everything was beautiful, and so were the celebrities. And a few things that made Battle of the Network Stars work was that they really did get all the stars, at least the younger, athletic, and, let's face it, the attractive ones. And not just female attractive ones, they did get male attractive ones too. One of their biggest gets was when they got uh, Tom Selleck. That was one thing. One of the reasons they were able to get so many stars is because they didn't make as much money in the 70s as they do now. And they were going to be offering a significant amount of prize money to the winning team. Another reason that it worked is because they got the perfect announcer and host. Howard Cosell. He got it. He understood the place of sports and society was that the people who are participating in it take it seriously and the fans take it seriously and it's important to them, but the outcomes in the big picture of society really aren't that important. He knew how to oversell it because he knew how to oversell everything that he did. There was no one who could inform, delight, annoy, and infuriate all simultaneously like Howard Cosell. But one more reason that it ended up really working is, and probably the most important reason, is that the stars ended up taking it really seriously. They really did try to win. They really worked hard at winning. And the reason that that it worked out that way is because of the structure for prize money. The last place team, every member of the team got $10,000, which is worth about $45,000 today. Second place, $15,000. And first place, $20,000. That's $90,000 today. But even more importantly than the money was that these were all actors. And actors, as a rule, have egos. And it was very important to them that they won. As soon as they got into the competition, it really started ramping up. Now, so one of the best parts of all of this, this is where that sprint race I was talking about comes into play. Okay. Um, One of the events, they had all different kinds of events, and they were somewhat less athletic than the uh, the Superstars competition, and some of them were team-based. One of the team-based things that they did was a sprint relay, like a 4x100, I think. Sprint Relay goes, and NBC ends up second. However, Telly Savalas, a star of Kojak on CBS, ends up complaining about a relay exchange out of the zone for the NBC team. And of course, he goes over the top with it. He explains to Howard Cosell, he takes it very personally because his people, the Greeks, started the Olympics. And so he feels obligated to stand up for what's right. What, what is happening, Captain Savalas, from the CBS point of view? 
As uh, from, a, from a CBS point yes. of view. No, I'm uh, lodging a complaint for ABC, NBC, and CBS. And what's the complaint? Well, number one, being a representative of uh, my ancestry who started the Olympic Games, I understand that somebody picked up the baton some 100 feet before the starting line. So they, you, you think, therefore, NBC should be disqualified? Uh, you mentioned that at work. I didn't. Yes, I think so. Therefore, ABC is the winner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, old boy. <laughs> yeah, CBS is second. All right. Savalas, yeah. Telly Savalas, is, is doing this while uh, smoking cigarettes between events, wearing a red jogging suit with gold chains and dark sunglasses, and lots of chest hair everywhere. Because that was the 1970s. Hey, listen, if he took the baton earlier, he just ran a little further, that's all. The advantage when you take the baton, as you know, is to be running with the runner. So if they're protesting the fact that we really outran him, that's their problem. Can I give you another comparison? It's like my putting my uniform on you. That's right? how, how vulgarly and that's how fragrant they were in breaking the rules. And so we're going to take this to the... Not, this is going to the negotiating no, table now. He is, he is Greek. And the Greek are famous athletes. That's how this all started. He's Jewish. He wants to arbitrate. Right? I'm German. I want to kill both of them. And I'm Irish. I'm looking for another Mick to hit. I'm from New York, and I want the bread, baby. They go back, and they look at the film, and uh, they end up deciding that, that they're going to disqualify the NBC team. Have you reached a decision? We have, Howard. We've looked at the tape a few times, and we have decided that uh, on the last lap, Ben Murphy started uh, considerably far ahead of his mark, and had he started where he belonged, first and second place would have been reversed. We have assessed a two-second penalty on the NBC team, and we have changed the order of the finish. ABC has won the race, NBC is second, and CBS is third. CBS remains third. Correct. It is our judgment that uh, CBS was not affected by it. They would have finished third in any event. Thank you very much, Howard. So ABC has won the sprint relay. The captain of the NBC team, a man named Robert Conrad, flips out because Conrad was one of those celebrities that took himself way, way, way too seriously. And he was seen popularly as a really athletic guy. He played Secret Service agent James West in the Wild Wild West TV show of the 60s. In 1976, he was playing a World War II flying ace in the TV show Baba Black Sheep. He played a lot of really badass characters on TV. And he flips out about it. Girl knocked down on this course, picked up, and we still compete. All right, now let's, we're out. Let's find Bob Conrad. Bob, Bob, really. But you're not disqualifying us for a technicality. We did not disqualify you, Bob. You're not disqualifying Start the tug of war between ABC and, uh, and uh, CBS. Bob, you haven't been disqualified. I'm the captain of this team. We ran a damn good race. You're right, you did. But you would have finished second had Ben... Like hell. Like hell. Like hell. Like hell. That's it. And the captain of the t other team that, that gets into it with him is Gabe Kaplan. The stand-up comedian and played the teacher uh, Gabe Cotter on Welcome Back, Cotter. Conrad, being his overly serious self, ends up to settle this argument, decides to challenge Gabe Kaplan to a one-on-one -on -one sprint race right there on the track. And, of course, if you're a track fan, you understand this is how this stuff works. It's not how any of it works. You don't challenge someone for... Uh, a baton exchange out of the zone. You don't. You don't look at uh, replay. E either the official called it or they didn't. 
and you don't settle the problem with a one-on-one sprint race. But hey, it's TV. You got to make good TV. And everybody assumed that Kaplan would, of course, lose the sprint race to the badass Robert Conrad because Kaplan played a goofball and he looked like a goofball. He had a big mustache. He had a big 70s white man afro. Here's the thing. Kaplan had been a sprinter in his youth, and he actually had pursued a professional baseball career before quitting and going into comedy and acting. Runners, take your mark. Get set. So it turns out that Kaplan just absolutely torched Robert Conrad right there on the track uh, to the amusement of everyone. from Silverman, cancellation was immediate if you lost. That's the way I like it. Best man wins. Best team, CBS won, or NBC rather, best captain won. That's the way I like it. Okay, the competition goes on. Thank you, Bob Conrad. Um, and Battle of the Network stars turned out to be a gigantic hit, and uh, they started doing it once a year, twice a year. It was a two-hour-long special. And eventually, it just ran itself out. It eventually wasn't a big deal anymore, partly because as more and more money came into television with the competition of cable TV and so forth, what Battle of the Network stars had to offer celebrities began to wane. And this end, of course, then there was a fourth uh, network, and then things took off from there. And eventually, it just ran itself out. But for a period of time, Olympic-style competition with foot races and swimming and all kinds of individual-based competition. That was everything there was in American television. 